0: Hello, hello. How the devil are you? I'm not going to make <laughs> you do a painful intro, and I said I'd just hit record just to make it as smooth as possible.
1: I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Um, you look nice and tanned, by the way. You got oh, your skin's looking lovely. Have you been out in the sun?
0: Oh, thank you. I have no tan. I think it's possibly just the lighting here. Maybe not any professional lighting. It's just it's nice to be by the back window. And my little office (laughs) space is at the bottom of the garden. So it's it's very nice to be away from the house. It's not an entirely changed environment, though, if you know what I mean. You haven't got that defrag time. How uh, is everything going academically, stroke business, stroke unique, new projects, interests? Am I allowed to ask that?
1: It's all good. Of course you are. I left my academic job, which so far it's been about a week, but so far so good. Um, Doctorate is chugging along chugging along at an extremely slow pace um business is good life goes on um yeah that's it really nothing too too dramatically exciting
0: well there's quite a lot going on and i a huge admiration for the the doctorate as well as you know like i i turned in the masters that was just too much i don't know how you you fit it all in is it part of work like can you encompass some of your research into work
1: yeah, pretty much. Like for example, part of it is to do a case study or a teaching case study. So anything that I teach to fitness professionals or that work countermised, obviously, and repurposed, um, doesn't mean I'm doing that. <laughs> or... um, sort of the way I'm fitting it in is by absolutely not doing the doctorate. That's the only way I've managed to fit it in. But that's that's going to change, Dan. I'm going to going to make sure I do this.
0: That just sounds like efficiency to me. I don't see that as taking shortcuts. That sounds like the smartest thing to do. Why would you keep duplicating work that you're doing already?
1: When you're doing a doctorate that's self-funded, and then you have the option of, should I take something that's going to give me income or should I sit and spend months writing something that nobody else is going to read apart from me and I probably won't even read the whole thing. So it's quite an obvious choice sometimes.
0: Yeah, I think that's a real life consideration these days because I'm giving my age away a little bit because you are a little bit younger than me (laughs) the my fees tuition wise when I did my undergrad they were still at the 1250 pounds an academic year mark which was on reflection now like nothing and when I picked up my master's last year that was just over 1500 pounds a module and there was 18 of those
1: it's Um, I'm not I'm not gonna by
0: the way I'm not gonna ask you how much your doctorate is
1: (laughs) (laughs) no but I it's hard to justify the cost anymore I think it's probably getting into the realms of all the work that I've done is outside of the doctorate so it's kind of it's hard to justify at what cost is too much probably we're probably already there
0: (laughs) (laughs) well no it's, it's an important point to consider I think especially when people are looking at the prospect of coming out of depending on how high they want to go up in higher education coming out before they've even started their career with like 150 grand worth of debt, because it's, you know, if you're doing your undergrad, it's taking your student loan on top of that. If you're living expenses, perhaps you've got to find time for a part-time job as well. It's just, it is a difficult time, but I digress. That's slightly off topic. Just for the sake of anyone that may be living under a rock that doesn't know much about you. I don't really want to talk too much about what you do. That's obviously part of it, but what about you? Where did Ella start?
1: Where did I start? Oh, that's a great question. I'm from South London, but I'm actually living up north. So, but yeah, like I'm fascinated with human behaviour. I'm fascinated with psychology, the human condition, and it just so happens that it's converged into a career where I um, basically educate and coach fitness professionals to better help their clients. Really, because we all know it's all about the the psychology of change. Um, but that's just a convergence of many of my interests I love sport I enjoy I'm insanely curious so it works works well for me
0: yeah that's quite an amalgamation of things because I think that's like as a broad term most will accept that psychology is a huge part of health and fitness now perhaps Mm. five to ten years ago less so and I find that that's quite an interesting thing to think about because when And from a coaching perspective, lots of people inquire and they are at that point, they're willing to seek out help is a lot of people still think it's in the the behaviors rather than the behavior change. And I think that's such an interesting aspect when we separate intent from the behavior. So a lot of the reasons and intent they get into that may be something like changing their body. But when it comes to instilling longer term behavior change, that's almost something quite abstract to a lot of people.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, and actually, there's a there's a massive gap between our intentions and our behaviours. We can have the best intentions in the world and we can't follow through. And actually, the frustrating thing is often we don't know why we can't follow through. Why don't I do it? Even though I do want to lose weight, I do really want to change. So why can't I? Why don't I? And why do I keep going back and forth? And people don't know the answer. Um, It's not like there is isn't one answer. But yeah, it's definitely something that's that's super important. And I think when we think about the word psychology, it's one of those subjects, right, where because everybody understands it to an extent, or we all think and we all feel and we all have or experience same with psychology as a discipline. Um, and so every coach that I speak to always says, yeah, it's a psychology and they think that they're doing the psychology and they think that they're doing the mindset. But the the, the the issue with that is that psychology is supposed to be a science it's a systematic process it's evidence-based it's got consistency to it and so it's one of those things where um it looks like what everybody knows but it's not there's a bit more to it even if it feels like common sense
0: yeah i think there's definitely parallels there to nutrition as well because we oh, all yeah. everyone has an understanding of nutrition so some person adopts a, a an approach to eating for six weeks has these fantastic results and they seem to be a nutrition expert so you must get quite frustrated in your space and I guess that'd be a really fascinating point to start is mindset like the emergence of the mindset and the mental health coach I know this is a, a peeve that we both share is what is mindset because it tends to be framed as quite this elitist concept whereas my very primitive basic understanding is we're talking about neuroplasticity and the, the pathways of thought that we set up and the beliefs that we have. It's changing that. It's not necessarily, or knowing you have the ability to change that. It's not getting up at 4am. It's maybe not doing <laughs> cold plunge. It's maybe not meditating for four hours a day. What is mindset when people describe themselves as a mindset coach?
1: Well, I think what they mean by mindset is that they've, yeah, they've basically put discipline as synonymous with mindset. So my um, just doing difficult stuff and just just doing it basically there's no understanding to why we do it other than discipline um, other than self-regulation those are kind of the only things that a mindset seems to be really it seems to be you don't fancy doing it well that's what you're going to feel so you're going to push through that and you've got to do it anyway um, you're going to have that craving you have got to push through it anyway and it's this whole that's what mindset is basically saying no to the stuff that you want and doing the stuff that's difficult um which i guess it is probably it kind of is that but it's not at the same time it's obviously far more complex than that and i think it often gets massively s- reduced or simplified down to those components
0: yeah I willpower is a finite resource but it will run out Is kind of how i always describe it because we do need an element of willpower but it's the even when we talk about health behaviors and a lot of it tends to be framed around fear and you know we can talk about the paradoxical effect of of fear and shame but if you're making people aware of their mortality for example it may be something you're encouraging them to do like go for a walk and whilst that makes total sense and having an awareness of something as simple as going for a walk is great for my physical and my mental well-being day one two three four if it is hammering down outside it's freezing cold we soon forget those things
1: you've got to have more discipline then that's what you need you need a better mindset
0: i don't want it enough so what is (laughs) what what do you feel is the missing piece in that when people actually describe themselves as mindset or mental health coaches i know that's a a bit of a, a further stretch that's emerged these days which is there's this great thing that mental health is obviously spoken about a little bit more it's less taboo but i i often feel like mental illness is the one that everyone is quite uncomfortable to talk about so you can't advocate mental health if you're not willing to address mental illness and some of the debil- debilitating quality of life implications that has for some people
1: yeah so back to like the first point about like what's missing i think what is missing is the understanding of the underlying mechanisms underneath things um and that's the kind of stuff that seems boring that we like to ignore. It's like the same as nutrition, right? Understanding the cell and the, the metabolism and all that kind of process. Well, it seems boring, but by really knowing that, you don't fall into traps about, you know, keto is better or this supplement works on this magic way because you understand. Uh, the circuitry you understand why things happen and it's the same with this right It's that on the surface I can say things like you need to be more disciplined or you need to be more like this but if I don't understand the mechanism through which that occurs and the mechanism through which people can be self-compassionate or they can't be or or the the impact that the environment has on our brain and the way that brains work and what even is a brain and what is the mind and, and all these functions if you don't understand it then the advice that we give is never going to be that helpful or it will help the people um that it can help, but it's not going to be able to help everybody because it needs it is a means of more nuanced approach, basically.
0: Mm. And that fascinates me in the coaching space because coaching services and a deliverable product are two different things. So I often think when people talk about mindset and we teach you about mindset is you, you actually need quite a, for want of a better word, intimate relationship with someone to help them better understand their values and explore that when we're talking about mindset. Is that something you would possibly agree with
1: i would agree because there's a difference between like psych education which i think most people can deliver you know you read atomic habits by james clear or you read whatever other book that you read and then you tell your clients about that and so you're now a mindset coach but no absolutely i think there are whole um mechanisms through which change occur, which is the relationship, the the conditions that you can create, um, the trust, the rapport, all these things are what facilitates change um, that isn't tool-based. And so there's whole schools in psychology that argue against each other, you know, you should be using tools and psychological skills training or the relationship is the vehicle, you know, things like a counseling-based approach, a humanistic-based approach. So yeah, I'm going off on a tangent, so I've completely forgot my point, but I would agree with you that it goes beyond that. Basically, the education side.
0: Well, I think that's what you raised there, actually, to, just to revert back to that. It's a really important aspect because I feel like a lot of the communication in the coaching space is kind of deviated away from, and, you know, I, I tend to think of it as we have this overcorrection. So a lot of developmental PTs, they'll learn about exercise first and foremost. They're huge holes when it comes to nutrition. They might go into a bit of further education about nutrition. They might go into a bit of further education about psychology. But within that, And this emergence of the business guru, the business mentor, there's been this pendulum swing the other way now, which, because you're not taught any of that initially in PT school, is it has become so business focused. It's dehumanized, I feel, the way in which we work with people in which they're referred to as solely clients or leads or prospects and all of this other marketing spill and the humanistic elements and actually being aligned with someone and helping them better understand themselves. I feel like there's a, there's a huge missing space there, especially in this mindset, mental health uh, space, because I'm not sure, and this isn't to necessarily dismiss group coaching. I think there's, there's a huge potential in group coaching, especially mass group coaching in terms of community and everything else. But I'm just not convinced from a coaching perspective, that when you're coaching a 1000 people in one space, where you don't know any of these intricate details to do with them as a person on a human level, is really quite difficult to cultivate that sense of developing a mindset.
1: Yeah, and you might be able to get the change in the people through the generic stuff that will gen- generically help anybody. So there's like generic advice that will probably help anybody, you know, like, try this environmental restructuring. If you just tweak some stuff in your environments and the person is quite likely to get some change from that. But the real deep change, and for the people who have tried multiple times before and never have seemed to be able to do this, they need those increased touch points. They need that relationship. They need somebody who's actually gonna pay attention to them, see them, um, accept them and help them with the barriers. But I think at the moment we've got bad incentives in the fitness industry. It's it's not incentivized to do a good job. Like you don't need to do a good job almost. You can just, you know – You can charge someone two fifty dollars a month and you can either be a fantastic coach and give them a lot of your time and effort and consideration, or you can charge that much and systematize it and scale up, which is kind of what most business mentors are are going down the route of. And I can't help but think, you know, if I was looking for a coach, I wouldn't know who to pick because everybody's saying they do the same thing. Everybody's charging pretty much the same amount. And so it would be hard to discriminate between those who actually are going to care and actually give you the the time and the relationship and actually want to focus on you or to those who you are just a number?
0: Yeah, I find one of my frustrations is, I guess, the the term coaching used interchangeably, because coaching is used in terms of like product that is delivered in a mass group as the same as it would be how I would perhaps use coaching, which is not necessarily saying that my approach is the best approach I just find it works for me on a professional level the best and I feel that gets the best out of the people I work with but I work with a much smaller group of people because I can feel I can get to know them I can know their family name members I can know what they do over weekend I know what their hobbies are like I know how they structure their week I know how they typically feed themselves throughout the day because to me like the the coaching is a collaboration as such it's not just a prescriptive list of instructions there you go crack on
1: yeah
0: you need that re-evaluation that feedback you need that refinement along the way so i think when people use the term coaching from a consumer point of view it must be so confusing because you don't actually know what that means what that is
1: no no i 100 percent agree with you and i think most of what people are doing are flavors of coaching but it's more like a program um which again it's fine, but it's difficult for the the person at home to discern the differences between these different types of things. So yeah, coaching is supposed to be completely tailored. Um, it's supposed to be collaborative. It's supposed to be systematic. Um, it's supposed to be person-centered, compassionate. Um, and like you said, like a good coach will know the person, they'll know their home life. They'll know, you know their fears, their barriers, what motivates them. And they'll actually be in relation with that person and building something together, which I don't think can be done if all you're ever doing is communicating via text or via voice notes or an email. That doesn't feel to me like that coaching dynamic. And that's not to say that it can't be effective because it definitely can. People can get great results um, following a program, but I think we're losing the term coaching, aren't we, a little bit?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think with that is, as you said, is when, when we when I revert to other ways or other approaches of coaching, it's not necessarily that I think it's a less than, I just think it's different. Everyone's Mm. on their different developmental place on their journey. It's the same as calorie counting, for example, may not be appropriate for someone that has no awareness at all of what goes into their mouth. You know, Mm. it may be that that's the five steps down the line. It's just bearing in mind where people are on their journey. If you've got someone that's fairly autonomous and they do essentially just want a training program and some guidelines around how to eat, they do want a macro count or whatever, that might be the perfect environment for them. But I think coaching at its core there's a there is as you say there's not really a defined way of communicating that and I'm I'm very cautious that I don't when I try to define how I do things or how I think of coaching is it's not necessarily a negative on anyone else and I think that's somehow how it's taken possibly that's my interpretation of others but possibly that's also their biases and their interpretation themselves
1: Yeah. Well, we don't want to admit that maybe we aren't doing something that we say we're doing. We don't want to like maybe admit that to ourselves. And again, it's not good, bad, um, right or wrong. I like to think of it, you know, you know, when we buy services as businesses, we we go to other people for our services. Would we want a person offering the kind of services that we do, which is you know, really trying to leverage the amount, the most amount of money as possible for the least amount of work. Or would we want that person that goes a little bit above and beyond who kind of really commits the time and energy to us. That's what we want when we're purchasing something. So it's kind of like, do we offer the same thing to our clients? Um, That's an interesting take. Like, would you want to hire yourself or maybe not?
0: Yeah. Cause so I think again, one of the aspects that's always overvalued is actually, as you said there, like everything being systemized, like everything is based around the coach's preferences like make this as streamlined and easy for you as possible to make the most money as possible when in actuality is what's what's the consumer experience of that you know it's not necessarily about your journey obviously you have your preferences in business and what's going to work for you but if that's solely designed around your preferences maybe there's a distinct group that you you just admit you can't work with and you you, I guess you market it in a way that is more accessible for People that don't want something that's as closely aligned with them.
1: Yeah, I can yeah, I completely agree with you. I lost my train of thought there, but it's kind of um going back to the idea of when we we're talking about training pl- programs and stuff and how it really works if the person isn't is sorry, autonomous. And that's exactly the next issue which we get onto, which is that when we give somebody a plan or we give them something to do and it doesn't work, the next step is that then sometimes we can blame the person. We can say, oh, they're just not following it. They're just not adhering. They're not doing it. When actually we're not realizing that what we're offering is only ever going to work for the person that is already ready, already autonomous, already knows how to overcome their own barriers. Whereas coaching is supposed to bridge that gap, which is supposed to be able to, help anybody where they are at at their starting point and then help them to navigate through their own barriers. Um, and that's not to change. That's not to say that everybody can change all the time because there has to be readiness to change or willingness to change, but definitely we can help more people than we think if we're not, you know, if we're just blaming them all the time, it's, it's their fault basically.
0: Mm. And on the flip side of that, I think you've possibly got coaches that do struggle a little bit with confidence and they internalize everything. So mm. the barriers in which they see with the people that they're working with, might not necessarily be their fault but we have this imposter syndrome which I think the imposter syndrome is an interesting concept because I I think on some level it offers humility it keeps us grounded in that I'd rather be a little bit self-conscious I'd rather care to the extent that sometimes I don't feel good enough as abstract as that sounds to the point that there's always effort in there there's always care rather than that that conviction confidence that's on a delusional level where you can't see beyond anyone else in that. It's definitely not you. You're not the problem. Everyone else is the problem around you. And I think that's the other flip side of that as well, which is the incredibly interesting thing about this conversation.
1: <laughs> I think like, let's just say there's two general camps, right? We're going to massively overgeneralize here, but we've got,
0: yeah,
1: this is not nuanced whatsoever. So it's not gonna be correct, but, um, You either have coaches that are overly confident already and they're the ones that already think they're doing a brilliant job. There's almost there's little to no imposter syndrome there. They're so sure on what they're doing and it's the client's fault, basically. Um, And those are the people that often um, don't seek help. They're the ones that don't reach out to increase their education. And then the coaches that I work with, um, you know, because I'm trying to help coaches. I already get coaches that are already great at coaching, which I find such an odd ironic thing they're already amazing at coaching they're taking too much responsibility like you said which is that they they're lacking in confidence they they worry that all the things are their fault when actually they're doing a really great job and and it's just always interested me that dynamic between the ones that really need to maybe upskill or educate or stuff are the ones that don't and then the ones that are already fantastic are the ones that are lacking in confidence so it's a completely flip-sided and obviously that's not nuanced in the slightest but there you go (laughs) that's
0: right that'd be popular on instagram we'll just clip that bit and put that out (laughs)
1: i'll be cancelled for some reason
0: (laughs) we like the polarized (laughs) aspects of it so like within this mindset bubble when do you feel like in your life what what was like the realization for you because i think we we have this no matter how self-aware we believe ourselves to be we all have blind spots because i've certainly thought when i've had my head screwed on i can reflect back and think i didn't have a clue what i was thinking about there when was a key moment in your life that you can reflect on that this mindset stuff and psychology underpinning all of this became such an integral part of your life?
1: Sure I think for me it's just the realization that I am a difficult client you know whatever that means the realization that like oh I'm that person I'm the one that wouldn't adhere I'm the one that doesn't like being told what to do I'm the one that only does it when I fancy it but then also knowing about myself but but I'm not lazy I'm not I don't not care I'm not not committed but an understanding that there's something inside me that I can't access and there's a gap that's left there and I think for me that's I don't know if it answers your question but that is what drew me even more to this space which is like how can I help the uncoachable person and what is an uncoachable person and what is really going on there and what help do we actually need what help do I actually need really is the answer is the thing we're always trying to chase right with this kind of stuff does that answer your question a little bit or?
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's a vested interest in all of us is why we kind of double down on a particular topic or theme is that because we feel it can offer us some help in mm. a certain way. And often the people that we work with, we see elements of us reflected back, which is, you know, again, when people are seeking out a professional is they have to see elements of themselves because that was something I kind of wanted to speak to because we have this like physical embodiment and a question I often get asked is should fitness professionals look a certain way when identity is such a huge part of body, uh, body image which is a hugely fascinating aspect for me but when we call ourselves coaches like how much of your identity is locked in being a coach and how much of that is locked in to embodying that and looking a certain way and thankfully we're, we're going through this new era now but I kind of refer to it on our communication there's, a, there's an element of friction almost so we're, we're seeing a lot more diverse experiences we're seeing a lot more diversity in terms of ethnicity with Turkey, um accessibility able-bodied those less abled uh, neurodiversity and things like that in the fitness space and just that wasn't something well spoken about or really touched on at all 10 years ago but we are now but we're now at a crossroads where hopefully many of us are under the the understanding that health and fitness is accessible to everyone like there is we're not the gatekeepers of people who can and can't enter this space but typically <laughs> many fitness professionals have always looked a certain way now we have the emergence of people that don't but that's important in terms of warming people to the space because they can see themselves reflected and we have overgeneralization again one camp that feel like you have to look a certain way you have to walk the talk and another like banging on the door let me in I'm just as competent and capable as you what can we do to kind of open this conversation up a little bit more
1: it's such a fascinating I don't think I actually asked
0: you a succinct question <laughs> it's Let's more just... like lots of observations let me throw lots of words at you and just see what you're saying
1: Let's see what comes out of it. Right. Let's see if we can figure something out together, which, yeah, it's a very interesting, complex situation. There's kind of um, what actually happens and then what maybe we would like to happen. And what I mean by that is, yeah, we don't I don't believe that white, attractive, young men are the gatekeepers to exercise. Clearly, they're not the only people that can exercise. That's clearly not, you know the case however there is also the case and when you came to you know body fitness and body shape in fitness professionals for example it is true and there is a heuristic that we have unfortunately that when a person is selecting who they want to be their coach one of the biggest um, selection criteria is that coach's physique Um, there are a few other criteria so you've got gender empathy their physique the results they've got their social skills but physique is going to be there at the forefront. Now, this isn't, is this because they're bad and misinformed and all of that kind of stuff? Maybe part of it. And actually, as we see more people of different body sizes and shapes, maybe that will start to um, reduce a little bit. Maybe when we understand that health isn't the same as physique, that might help as well. Um, But we also have things in there like heuristics and we have things that have, that have occurred so you know our brains work to make these quick snapshot judgments so that we don't have to continuously be um, assessing everything because so we'd never get anything done so one heuristic we have or a cognitive bias is kind of like the halo effect which is that we'll look at a person and we'll judge other characteristics based on a different characteristics so for example if the person's physically attractive we make an assumption that they are um, more smart or they're better at something which that means nothing, right? But that's all we have to go on by the outside. And if we think back in history, you know, medical technology is very recent, is something that's happened in recent times. So the ability to be able to find somebody's health through blood tests and scans is only quite recent. Before that, the way that we would judge someone's health is by looking at them. That was the only measurement we had. So you'd look at them and say, well, they look in shape, they, they, their appearance, their complexion, they look healthy. And so over time, this is something that's actually happened. So it's we just need to catch up to this idea that abs doesn't equal health or extra body weight doesn't equal not being healthy again, I've just thrown loads in there. I'll throw it right back over at you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then you throw in the the aspects of social media that have the ability to skew those perceptions as well with filters, mm. photoshopping, etc. But I do think like the wonderful thing about all negative said about social media is that you do get a fair assessment of someone's character. Obviously, I know some people play up to a certain persona, there is a performative element of social media, but you do get good insight into who a person is, I think when they if you avidly follow someone's content, for example, and you're watching stories and see how they interact with other people and whatnot. But I think the other quite interesting aspect of that, because I, th- I think of it like broadly and culturally, is that, is that going to change? Likely, because we, ele- we when we incorporate a capitalist element into that and what is profitable and what works is there are many people making money off this. And let's face it, there is a certain beauty privilege, attractive people can capitalize on certain aspects whether they're genetically given or they're artificially given through AI or whatever if you want to sell an exercise program it's a great way to do it it's just when we're talking about ethical coaching it's from a consumer's perspective helping people understand how to distinguish between the two and that's not to say beautiful people are awful people by the yeah. way but it's it's yeah. definitely a le- it's definitely a leverage point i think it's definitely a leverage point that people double down on
1: it's let's look at it from like the coach perspective and the the perspective client perspective from a coach's perspective it brings the pressure to have to look a certain way it it brings issues with body image it brings issues with self-worth and shame and guilt and this necessity that we feel as though you know our body is our business card there's an actual article a journal article on that and it is like most fitness professionals believe that their body is a business card but that isn't untrue because when then we speak of the client side that is one of the things that they look for there was one study a very small sample size but 19 out of 20 participants said that they would want their personal trainer to be in good shape so you know it's it's it is there. And then from a client's perspective, like you said, social media is great because over time you can nurture a relationship with a person, you can get to know their characteristics, but otherwise all we have is the way they look. And rightly or wrongly, we infer a person's traits based on how they look, right? If someone looks healthy, whatever that means, people are assuming things about them, such things such as willpower, discipline, and wrongly, moral fiber. There's something weird that we do, which we We think people are morally better by looking at them if they're healthier than they're not, which is not true in the slightest. It's just what happens automatically when you look at people. And so there's all these complex things. And like you said, you know, we've got the media, we have social media. Another thing to consider as well is like, are any of these bodies that we're looking at actually attainable for the average person? Are most of them assisted? whether that be through technology assisted or actually assisted by other means, performance enhancing drugs, for example, or just the fact that they have more time to train or dedicate their life to fitness as well.
0: Yeah. I think it's that like for like comparison that people have. And there is a fine line, I think, between inspiration and intimidation.
1: Hmm.
0: I often refer to comparison, not as the thief of joy, but that poison chalice that you keep sipping from that cup. Eventually it catches up with you, but also, uh, an inherent evolutionary thing like you know you, you spoke on some level there about judgment we was talking about judgment as a bad thing like don't be judgmental but from an assessment of threat point of view it's it's in our reptilian brain it's very difficult to distinguish between what's an unconscious bias and judgment here and actually discerning how, what this person is as an individual yeah because that yeah in a certain way on social media but with that as well like interesting aspect is what has most visibility tend to be useful people that comes with power and that comes with the reward of social currency so when people flock to them and that is represented in thousands and thousands of followers again it solidifies that fact in our mind that this person's obviously an authority they look the part they've obviously other people believe they know they're, what they're talking about look at all like this massive community they've built it's an easy sell
1: Again, yeah, it's all these data symbols that are trying, it's giving false clues to people. You know, the number of followers that the person has on Instagram, oh, that must mean they're great at what they do. Uh, The way they look, oh, that must mean that they're really knowledgeable and they're really competent. Again, they might be, but they might not be. People might be in fantastic shape and and have very dubious um, nutrition views or training views because there's no real um, understanding underneath it. Um, But it's really hard to discern. I don't know, if you were choosing to work with somebody? Would you pick somebody with 300 followers who you don't know? Or would you pick somebody who, who seems to have 10,000 followers and loads of social proof because of the fact they're attracting more people so they got more people to work with. So it's really tricky. And and how do we shift this? Because there are so many people who who aren't fitting the stereotypical mold that have so much value to offer and who, who are amazing coaches, amazing people How do we shift the narrative? I don't know. I don't necessarily have the answers.
0: (laughs) I don't think there is a one answer, actually. And I don't think there's a likelihood that that's going to massively change. I think when we talk about these things, it just encourages like a pause in thought. Mm. Because we have these natural inherent things that are just built into us as we spoke about, like the judgment and these unconscious biases. And this person must know what they're talking about. That's there. But can we pause and actually let's look at the other distinguishable features here yeah. like how are they as a person what are their what are the people that they're working with what are their experiences how do they make them feel uh, how do they talk about others is it from a po- point of personal disclosure about how working with people makes them feel as a coach mm-hmm. or is it just about the more tangible let's say they've lost 10 kilos or look mm-hmm. at this person's after pictures and all these other things I don't think there is one word and uh, or one solution, should I say, and this comes with where people are on their journey and who they want to work with, because we tend to, and I take for granted sometimes, that there's a depth of thought that comes with this stuff, which can be your kryptonite and also a bit of a gift if you consider yourself a more self-aware person. Some people just don't operate on that level, and I don't mean that from a judgmental point of view, because they might be perfectly happy with our existence. We can't assume everyone thinks the way we do, or they're that bothered people just aren't bothered about the same things. Some people are happy to invest in, I don't know, 150 quid for just an exercise plan and be given a a meal plan to go along with it. They're happy with that service. So who am I to point fingers and say that's something less than?
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. I don't know, where where do we go from there? What's the point from that? I think on a positive note though, um, the literature has also shown that whilst the first judgment we might make is about somebody's appearance in the fitness space that can be overridden and the trust can build for a certain number of reasons things like the connection that we build with them the empathy that person has the social skills they have if we can see that they're actually helping us and getting us results then the things that are really important on the surface kind of disintegrate which makes sense right you've it's these shiny things on the surface that attract us but then we only stay if there's any substance underneath it but what we're trying to say is that the substance is like it's really important can we make the substance be the thing that's more attractive almost
0: yeah and then we get frustrated on a visual <laughs> platform when we can't show that stuff
1: <laughs> that's it, isn't it that's a whole other thing which is like if we're not if we know it's the it's the common dilemma that I get with all coaches which is that they want to work in a more person-centered way. They want to use the habit-based approach, but they know that when they post about fat loss and a particular number of lose X amount of pounds, it's going to generate more interest and more engagement. And they, at the end of the day, they have a business to run. They know that when they post a testimonial before and after photo, that does better with the algorithm than somebody saying that it changed their life and they've had an amazing experience. So it's it's part of, part of it as well.
0: Do you think there's an aspect to just playing the game?
1: I think so. I think so. Unfortunately, that doesn't make me, that's that, That's not an answer that settles me. It's not an answer that I enjoy. I don't find that particularly rewarding in the slightest, but what are the other options? I think we can try to be so fully aligned, but sometimes it's an aspect of playing the game so that we can do the impactful and meaningful work. You know, it's, it's as well, it's almost giving people what they want whilst also giving them what they need as well. It's that element, isn't it? Which is that helping people get quick results hoping that that's going to build a trust in and buy-in so that over time you can work on the stuff that maybe they actually need. And I think it's probably a bit of the same for this as well.
0: Yeah. I find that and just as a personal kind of testament to that, almost cutting your nose off to spite your face sometimes because doubling down on what I truly believe in and what I truly believe is helpful for people, I know isn't popular, but I, you know, I will put that stuff out there regardless.
1: Hmm.
0: Uh, the game I'll often say I want to play the game on my own terms, even if mm-hmm. I'm playing by my own set of rules. And there's some acceptance in that. And I have—I think there has to be some ease in that. And I'm i am talking personally, and perhaps that would be my advice for other people, is when you're putting information out there, is it aligned with you personally? Are you happy with what it promotes? Are you happy with how it might be seen? Even if that doesn't necessarily bring you anything back immediate, because it, you know, we, we all know that people follow you for a length of time. When we offer value, I think it's value is this kind of thing that we overvalue to overuse the word value (laughs) in that we tend to think we offer more value from an altruistic point of view than we actually do. And I think of that from a just put more value out there. Well, okay, but would you do that if there wasn't some sort of monetary return on that? And I think that's, a, that's an honest conversation a lot of coaches got to have. So if you're in the promotional value, is it of value or is it of value to serve a certain purpose? And there's nothing, again, there's nothing right or wrong there. I think it's just owning what your message is and your intent behind those posts. So if you're of the body image, better in relationship with food, better relationship with yourself message, and then... Your next post is you and your skin peers. There's going to be a little bit of incongruence there. You're playing the game on your level to entice people in, but don't be surprised if other people are a bit unsettled by that or it's slightly confusing.
1: Yeah, I think we're in very similar places with this, and it's something that I have a I have daily tension with. And I, I don't know maybe we we care about incongruence more than others. I I don't. Uh, that's, a, that's a silly thing to say. People probably care about it, but I think there's an unsettling nature to it, which I find it really hard to continue whilst being incongruent that I can't ignore, that's really unsettling. And so I think it's also this idea that, okay, you can be an absolute purist and you can be fully congruent and say, right, I'm only gonna post stuff that when I want to, um, when I feel like I have something important to say, and I'm gonna speak by as long as I need to and not play into the algorithm. But we also have this underlying belief that if we're good at what we do and we're authentic and we care and we work hard, that we're gonna be successful. And unfortunately that's not actually the case. And it's so, there is a cost to pay for being congruent and you've got to decide if the cost of being incongruent is worse than the cost of losing out on what you can lose out on being incongruent it, like you have got to figure out what's more important to you and i think it's it's horrible that <laughs> it sounds dramatic but i do think it's one of the most difficult things in life is deciding whether you're going to be fully congruent and maybe be have high well-being and and happy but that doesn't mean that, that you don't miss out on lots of stuff and it's 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 very very difficult um I find it very difficult personally that it feels like we have to make a choice. You either you either can be successful by doing things that, but, that not necessarily yourself or you can be yourself but not necessarily play into the capitalism and the algorithm um, and then you get stuck in a middle zone where you're kind of doing a bit of both and not doing either very well and so I'm currently in that place, that middle ground of like, oh my goodness, yeah.
0: Yeah, I am as well. I, I was sitting there nodding my head because so much of that resonates. And it's almost, I feel like that's a post in itself. And I, I look forward to reading <laughs> the cost of congruence.
1: Oh, God, you're that's, right.
0: That's a huge, hugely important aspect. And something I think about quite often because I made a very conscious decision, I guess. And this is part of the <clears> cutting the nose off to spite my face thing, in that I decided I just wasn't going to use before and after pictures, despite a lot of the people I work with still having body composition goals. That just wasn't gonna be a focal point for me. Again, arguably on a visual platform. Funnily enough, people wanna see visuals, but I was gonna try and change my message in a certain way. And the the truth of it is when I made that decision latter part of 2019 is it did have implications on business. It really did, it did. And around that time also came the pandemic When I stopped in-person coaching so uh, I'm I'm very open and honest about that probably two-thirds of my business went in one flop with the pandemic Mm -hmm. as it did from a a lot of other people as with this changing messaging in that not that necessarily I say changing messaging even when I did visual updates there would be updates they wouldn't be before and after it wouldn't be the black and white miserable holding a newspaper article (laughs) as a before image like less than image I'd always try to frame it as this is this person's account of their experience in their own words with a testimonial like better dad like more engaged and present or more higher achieving at work making progress in their career and all these other aspects yet anytime i would post anything like that it'd be naturally reduced to so what did they eat like how many calories were they on and i just thought this just this isn't something i want to perpetuate and exacerbating people's belief and understanding
1: because yeah it, it comes with
0: that social reinforcement anyway doesn't it like that social reinforcement when someone loses weight that naturally means improved mental health physical health and then naturally they're going to be happier and more prosperous in their careers etc and that's just not the case no but when i did decide no. to do that sorry i went on for mad tangent <laughs> like a, a confession to my pope that <laughs> It does it does have implications. It does have a cost, and it does make things harder because i I know when I was doing photo shoot packages and things like that they there were sellouts. They were times of my life I was probably financially not in the best position possible. but did that weigh on my conscience? It did. It really did
1: yeah. is a is it a case of pick your poison uh, maybe. And this whole conversation is kind of screaming existentialism to me it's this idea of like you know the biggest thing in my opinion that we face as humans is the courage to be authentic you know it's it's the courage to do what feels right and to be your true self but we don't really understand what that means it's you know when your fibers are telling you that it doesn't feel right to just keep posting content but you do it anyway that's what being inauthentic is as opposed to just you know being honest it's, it's you know those listening to that true inner voice and having the courage and saying it's going to impact me financially. It's going to impact my social status. It's going to impact my power status and my popularity. Um, But can I have the courage to do what feels right? And it might not have any reward other than the fact that I'm being myself. And that's a huge journey. And I'm hearing what you're saying as well, like in terms of this existential point of meaning. And it's like, it doesn't feel that meaningful to maybe us that if all we're ever talking about is, fat loss and this many pounds off what feels truly meaningful is when a person says that their life has changed or when we really feel as though we're making a difference and it's this is what I worry about with coaches which is like okay you know we can we can play play the game you can get 40 50 clients but those are the coaches that are going to approach burnout and a lot of that burnout yes is driven by overworking but it's driven by an absolute lack of fulfillment and purpose that comes from stripping down something that is super meaningful like coaching and just skimming it down to systems and automations and so you remove coaches pretty much the only thing that they actually like is training nutrition and coaching but then they get into business and those are the things that they're doing the least they don't have time for their own training they don't have time for their own nutrition and they're not doing as much coaching as they want to do because they're too busy uh posting and interacting and lead magnets and all sorts and it's kind of like just having these moments to pause and be like why did you get into it in the first place If it was for money and for freedom, you could probably get more of that doing a different job. You do this because you love coaching. So let's keep that element there.
0: Yeah, it's incentivized being authentically inauthentic sometimes, I think, because you know there's performative aspects that are rewarded by the algorithm. So people will frame it in a way on being authentic when actually it's not It's a performance like there's a quirky no. elements but if you're inauthentically going away to create and cultivate something that you know is going to be popular as you say I think the, the true authenticity is putting something that is meaningful to you and knowing it's possibly going to be unpopular that's yes. the truth of it it's not playing to the points that I'm going to put this up because it's going to be hugely popular but this again is rewarded and encouraged by some mentors in the space which is this is my blueprint to build your social media platform but if that is totally counter to how you think about it or what you value or what feels morally right for you then by following that path again it's just just encouraging inauthenticity
1: yeah and you know what actually that's a really good point um actually the fact that they're called business mentors and not business coaches are, is actually a really important point. A mentor is somebody who has done it before and they're telling you what worked for them. And you're almost passing on something that has worked for you kind of like a blueprint. Whereas coaching is, it's less about your own personal experience and it's more about the person in front of you. And so that's exactly it. It's taking this thing that works for people who are happy to work every hour under the sun and to, to grind and that money's the highest, um, highest truth, um, you know that grind mentality everything's about power thinks about this and that that's maybe not fair that's probably not what it's all about but you know and and saying that to be successful you have to do those things and what business mentorship has become is like you know m- posting more doing more 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 leads and it's like well yeah what about the person you know what about that person actually hates being on camera that person has poor mental health when they're on Instagram all the time, but it's like, you've got to ignore the fact that these things are really poor for your well-being. Cause if you want to be successful, this is what you have to do. And then, you know, along comes the shame, because if the coach doesn't do those things or can't do the things, then there's shame. Like what's wrong with me? Why can't I do it? Well, it's because it's against your nature. You know, you're, you're trying to do these things because somebody's told you that you have to, to be successful. And now you're scared, obviously, because you want to be successful. Um, And there's that argument where that's a lot of where poor well-being and mental health, poor mental health comes from, which is this constant incongruence that we have of just going against what feels right for other mechanisms that we actually really want. We need security. We need stability. And that's how these cycles perpetuate.
0: Yeah, really interesting aspects, because almost I feel like a lot of business mentoring and, you know, just in terms of anyone listening, I think that's a really important distinguishable point the difference between a mentor and a business coach is a business coach is going to be exactly as you would be with anyone trying to improve their health more aligned with your values what feels right for you your moral compass which is essentially led by you whereas mm. a mentor is going to replicate what I've done this is the part, fastest path to get where I am yeah even if you're totally unaligned with that individual
1: yeah like here's the key to getting 50 leads a month or whatever a week or whatever and it's kind of like what should be happening is start with yourself first right what do you want do you want 50 leads or is what, what does you actually
0: look like for you yeah 100 people,
1: people don't know what success looks like 100 percent, and we've got to start there but then the issue is even if we know what success looks like the goal posts move because there's so much noise all the time like you know there's plenty of coaches that know that what success looks like they like having a balanced lifestyle they like having enough money to sustain themselves then they go on instagram and the coaches are, pub- are like posting more frequently and they're posting you know more stuff and they're getting more likes and more this and more that and then the fear creeps in of maybe i'm not doing enough maybe i'm not enough maybe i'm not safe enough maybe i'm not secure enough and then that then feeds into that cycle of having to give more of yourself
0: yeah I must stop saying yeah because I'm in total. I'm mean just in total agreement with everything you say because I'm sitting here nodding my head and so much of this resonates and it is a confusing space for someone who, not as a, a weird brag, but I would consider myself like fairly experienced, been coaching for seventeen years now, and I find it still quite confusing. And although I can observationally, I see these things happening it does tap into your psyche over time and there are definitely periods of self-doubt and self-worth and having lower self-esteem especially when as I said this this message of almost people flip-flopping between what they recognize works between what they truly believe is I feel like I've stayed firm to what I believe and I can't necessarily see (laughs) the benefits of that all the time because interestingly that this this is just uh something that sprung to mind is I spoke at IFS not last year just gone but the year previous to that and uh I had people drunkenly coming up to me that evening saying well why are you up there speaking I've got more followers than you (laughs) (laughs) which is which is I think like funny and interesting I didn't take it as a a huge insult because I think I'm confident in my in myself and i am not tied too much of my self-worth into that but then I also know that because that is social currency in some form that does prevent me from having the doors open certain opportunities for example a journalist that I know pitched me for some TV producers that were doing a nutrition panel and they expressed an interest and then they looked at my Instagram and it's like, oh, but he hasn't got a minimum of 10,000 followers. So that does like knowing better, despite knowing better, you're a little bit like, oh, do I need to play the game more? But then playing the game, it's going to make me feel shit, frankly.
1: I feel... I feel exactly the, the same. And this is going to turn into like a a dis- disclosure podcast. So that's cool. I, suppose, They've all turned but...
0: into this. I don't know whether you've listened to any of the episodes previously. <laughs> they all happened to go down this path. And that's one, great. Com- Cause that's one you. One common denominator here. And that's me. I take risk. <laughs> But
1: that's nice, right? Get into this space. And I think it's what people actually want to hear and the willingness to go to those places. And I think, what well, you know, it's the same for me, right? By I've spent seven years at university and I'm completing a doctorate in psychology, um, spent a lot of money on it, uh, a lot of assignments, a lot of hard work, a lot of supervision, a lot of practice and having to earn my stripes. And then I find myself spending so much tr- time trying to transform extremely complicated, nuanced ideas into a 30 second reel. Um, because if I make it one minute long, good good God, if I make it one minute long, it's so boring for people to uh, listen to. And it's kind of like, at what point are is it just going to erode the desire to do it At all. And that's exactly almost like what you're saying. And I feel it as well. It's kind of like, well, you know, I'm a psychologist to start with. I'm not a content creator, but the whole game has shifted now where I'm spending all of my time doing that and I'm away from the thing that I actually really enjoy and care about. So I think when you said about, you know, you're you're being true to yourself and you almost don't get rewarded, well, the the very simple fact of the matter is the, the prize you get for being congruent is a peace of mind. And you can put whatever, value on it but that's what you get you don't have the tension that you feel when you're being incongruent you don't have that niggling feeling of doing something against what you know to be true so you have the peace of mind doesn't mean you have financial security stability um doesn't mean you get invited to have a seat at the table but it depends what's most important and I think um, peace of mind is the only other thing that you can't gain through other means right you can't buy peace of mind you can't short cut your way to it That's how you get it.
0: The cost of congruence. That's the clip right there. That's the (laughs) clip for the podcast right there. And also I'm very conscious of your time. So I think that is a solid place. (laughs) Uh, Just to wrap up, Ella, if people did want to learn a little bit more about your coaching program, what you have to offer, kind of the, the spaces that you work in, where can they go to find out a little bit more about you, please?
1: Yes, of course. My Instagram I was saying Instagram that's funny um the fitness psych underscore and that's where you'll find everything but actually after this conversation this has been really great I appreciate it Dan and actually I'm going to I'm going to spend some time really thinking about this because it's obviously something that the congruent side of things is something that's been playing on my mind anyway so this has given me the the push to be more aligned I think peace of the peace of mind is far more important to me than the other stuff
0: yeah is something I think, it's just being at ease with it, which I think is easier said than done. But yeah, I think we both need a ponder on that. But I'm glad that you found this conversation because obviously I found this conversation hugely insightful and helpful. And I think those, I say those, my mum and possibly one other that <laughs> tune in, will might find it quite helpful too. So if nothing else, I always say these episodes are, and this is me being self-stigmatizing, they do exactly as I sound in, it's the ramblings of a madman, plus guest that often knows what they're talking about. So <laughs> if you have enjoyed this episode, please do share with a friend, let us know. Always looking to improve, some valuable constructive feedback is always welcome as well. Until next time, thanks again for your time.
1: Pleasure, Dan, thank you.